Well, good evening. Good to be with you. It was a fun day today, wasn't it? Uh, we had uh, in the first service, I'm, I don't know that I've ever seen a standing ovation when someone's name was mentioned as a candidate. No pressure, Patton. You know? In the second service, you got a nice round of applause, but I mentioned to them that you got a standing ovation in the first service, and Pastor Kirk and Pastor Joe led the way. And you got a standing ovation in the second, so you can, you can tell them thank you after that. I, we've had a little bit of a snafu this morning in the first service. I'm only taking half the credit, Brad. Part of this is your fault, because you didn't come either. Uh, so you'll be receiving a video this week that kind of details some of this, and we, we went over it in the second service, that Pastor Brad has taken a new position, uh, and he's going to be moving to Tulsa, Oklahoma and so we affirm that move in his life. We see that as part of his next steps. And part of the cool thing about that job opportunity is that the church is actually where Tiffany's grandparents go to church, gets them about two hours closer to homes with third baby coming. That's all good. He'll be doing some uh, small group work there and also doing missions. And I don't know if you've ever been in Pastor Brad's office, but I've accused him of having a shrine that he prays to to Lottie Moon in his office. It's full of flags and pictures of every mission trip that he's ever been on, and you get around him, that's his heart. And so we're excited for him and sad at the same time, so it's good for them and bittersweet for us. So next Sunday after the service, if you want to make sure you bring a card, we always like to, to write our memories down for people and the way they've impacted us and give that to them. They'll be in the lobby after that. It was also a special day because it finally felt like summer was over. Thank God. You know, can there be anything more depressing than starting church and all five of us being in the room, you know? And it was good to have everybody back. But beyond that, I want to just kind of tell you this. This is important. Our Next Step Center had 10 first-time families come by and visit today. That's a big deal, you know, right? Yeah, praise the Lord for that. And I was talking with Jenny, and, and I think there were more than that that were in, in, the, uh, in the building today. And that just means that we have a lot of work to do, doesn't it? It means we have a lot to follow up with with people. And so just be praying for that, that God sends the right people at the right times. Uh, and he moves us in and out of seasons, just like Brad and Tiffany moving to a new season, the next step of their life. You know, people are moving in and out of seasons of their lives all the time. And so right now, maybe some of that season is here. And I specifically want you to be praying for our More Than Moms ministry. Our More Than Moms ministry uh, provided a lot of the growth that you saw in the church uh, last spring and last fall. It really was where the majority of new people came from was out of our More Than Moms ministry. And they had a meeting yesterday with their leadership getting ready for that. They're doing a great, great job, and we need to be praying for that. We're resourcing that to a higher level this year and just believing that God is going to keep bringing people to that, and so it's a good thing. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of James chapter 5. Uh, I, I had, I, I don't know, I had originally planned that we were just going to tack on verses 19 and 20 to what we did last week, and then as I looked at it, I mean, it just doesn't fit, and I thought, well, we're just going to finish James, and we're going to move on to the minor prophets. We always do a minor prophet every fall, and you say, well, why, Pastor, why would you make us study a minor prophet? Because you won't if I don't, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, it's, it's that... You know, I really believe, and this is, this is a foundational conviction for me, that the whole counsel of the Word of God is important. Now, the New Testament is important to us as believers. 
in a way that certainly we would, if you were going to say, if, if you had to weight one or the other as New Testament Christians, obviously, I mean, we read that. And on a Sunday morning, we're certainly probably going to study Romans more than we will Obadiah. But Obadiah has some good stuff in it that we need to look at, and we're looking at that as we go forward from here. And so I thought, well, we'll just skip these last two verses. And last Sunday afternoon, I was like, yeah, we can't do that. We've got to stay one more week and finish this out and finish it out right. Uh, I think it's really important that we do it because, uh, you know, as we think about that, we, we really have to look at all of this uh, in the book of James. And these last two verses, are, I think, are really important for us. So if you would, James chapter 5 and verse 19 and verse 20. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. I want you to think tonight about your responsibility to me and my responsibility to you and your responsibility to the person that's sitting next to you and their responsibility towards you. And I want you to think about the people who are older than you in this church and your responsibility to them. And the people that are younger than you in this church and your responsibility to them, theirs to you. Because I think that's really important. When we say we value community at Judson, what comes to mind? Do you immediately think about fellowship? Do you think about life group? Or do you think about recreation ministry? Or men's and women's ministry? Or the events where we enjoy hanging out with one another? Is is that what you begin to think about? Because if you're like me, you love every one of those things. They're great. All of those things are important. And I would rather be with the people of this church than just about anywhere else in my life because my friends are in this church. This church contains really my life. My life is encircled in this church. And all of these activities I just mentioned might be considered, I guess, what we would call the positive side of community. They're the upside of being in relationship with one another. In those activities, your responsibility really is to be present. It's to show up. When we think about our responsibility in the fellowship of the church, it's really to be present. And I can't overstate how important that actually is. So many times we think that it doesn't matter if we show up or not. And it really does. If you're a new life group teacher and somebody in your class doesn't think that it's important if they show up and the life group teachers prepared a lesson and they show up and they're ready to teach and it's just them. It's depressing. You wonder what God's doing, right? I mean, and, and that's not the life group teacher's fault. Our responsibility in so many of these things is just to show up. But James is speaking about our responsibility and community towards one another and how it goes deeper than just showing up. Most of us read verses 19 and 20 and we nod our heads in agreement, but we really don't see that as being our responsibility. Man, that is really important. Somebody ought to talk to people when they mess up. Not me. Leave me out of it. I don't want to have to do it. I, don't we have somebody on staff that can do that? Isn't there someone that we should call? There, there's an expert or something like that. But if you read uh, 19 and 20, and I'd like you to just look back at those two verses for just a second. Do you see the word pastor or deacon in those two verses? I didn't. Maybe your translation is different. Maybe your translation is what you'd like it to read. Like anybody else but me, right? Go talk to someone who has strayed from the error of their ways. But that means in Scripture there's a very clear description on how we're to approach people who are in danger of straying away from the faith. In the old days, we called this backsliding. 
You don't hear that term very much anymore. You know, I'm backslidden. What did that mean? I think a lot of it came from the idea that when people thought about worshiping, they thought about ascending the hill towards Jerusalem. You know, that you were going somewhere. There was forward momentum and progress. And I always think about backsliding. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of, we don't really have this in, in the Appalachian Mountains where if you see the mountain peaks, there's just rocks and boulders. If you go out west, though, maybe you've seen a talus slope. Do you know what a talus slope is? It's, it's something that's called scree, right? It, it, it's, it's, it's like a gravel pit on the side of a mountain. And if you've ever watched somebody try to walk up a talus slope, it's, it can be a little bit maddening because as you're going up, you can slide back down the slope a little bit. And we talk about being backslidden. We're talking about that we're going in the wrong direction. We've lost our forward momentum and our walk with the Lord isn't where it needs to be. And James is saying there's a responsibility for us to be involved in one another's lives to the point where we individually feel the weight and the burden of this. If you don't feel the weight and the burden of this, that means you don't know anybody in our church. Now that's one of the problems of the large church slash mega church movement that we see. And our church is in danger of this, folks. We really are. It's very easy, the larger we get, for you to be completely anonymous here. I mean, there's people every week, they slip in, they sit somewhere, and I might be able to see them, but they slip out, right? And, and they can kind of check off the list of like, oh, I've been in church today, good for me, I've checked the box, but it, it, it leaves something that's a little bit lacking because you can basically hide out and you don't have to connect with people. And when we don't connect with people, our spiritual well-being suffers, we all need people speaking into our lives. And when church becomes a place you can attend anonymously, those things don't happen. Well, when we talk about those 10 first-time visiting families that came this morning or all of those people, we have a problem we, we have to deal with because it means there's a lot of people for us to keep up with on a daily basis. And notice that I said us. I didn't say me. I didn't point to the pastor's. I didn't point just to the Sunday school, us, right? We have a lot of people to keep up with that God's sending us. And every church I know talks about the value of community. They talk about community, 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 community. But what does community really mean? When we talk about it at Judson, we say that we believe God's design for relationships guides us to be doing life together. That's a value of the church, that we hold near and dear to our lives. And we ask ourselves three test questions. Am I caring? Am I relating? Am I fellowshipping with people? And if those things aren't true, then we're violating our own value. And if we're allowing people to come into the church and just kind of hide out, we're allowing them to violate our values. Now, I don't know how this works at your house, but at my house, my values may be a little bit different than your values are. You know, maybe you allow something with your kids at my house that we're not ready for right? Or you, you watch something on TV that at my house I don't feel comfortable with, or I watch something you don't feel comfortable with. But what I don't do is let people come into my house and violate the values of the house. We just don't do that, right? That's, that's kind of one of the perks of it being my house. So when we think about our church and we talk about people coming in, we have to work very, very hard to move them into a direction of relationship with people and make them run over us to get out of the door so that they're not in relationship with people. I met one of the first-time visitors today, and they had the little guest bag, and I said, have you found a life group yet? 
It's our first Sunday. Great. Have you found a life group yet? Have you thought about that? No, I, we haven't thought about it. It's our first Sunday. Good. Let me look inside that bag. And I pulled it out. And I said, you need to look through here. Do you have children at home? No, we don't have children at home. Well, you can go to either side of the services here in life group. Send me an email this week if you have any questions about it. And I'd be happy to put you in a life group. Why? Because life groups are the lifeblood of our church. And for the first time in the 11 years that I've been here on staff, we're now seeing a disconnect between our worship attendance and our life group attendance. Now, some of that is because we planted a church with people who were faithful and teachers in here every week, and we replaced them with a bunch of moms and dads with preschoolers who were sick all the time. And that's just a fact of life, and it's okay. So they're in and out. I mean, we, we can live with that side of it, but we have to address this all of the time. When you have a relationship with someone, then you have an opportunity to influence them. This is your responsibility. Your responsibility is in the opportunity. And James says that anytime we turn someone back who's straight from the truth, we're doing something amazing. He says it's weighty. It's heavy. He says that we have saved a soul from death and covered a multitude of sins. Well, I want you to look at this and see what this is like. Because this is not something I want you to call your pastor and say, hey, you need to talk to them. No, when anyone, when anyone, right, straight from the truth, and you deal with them, you're doing the Lord's work. This is not what you do. You don't call in the expert. This is you doing life with people day by day. It's walking within what they're going through when it's great, when it's tough, and it, when it's bad, it's loving them enough to step in the middle of it and say, this isn't what God's best is for you. Speaking the truth. And the only way for you to stop someone else from erring in truth, from straying from the faith, is for you to know the truth yourself. It's for you to be in the truth all the time. Now, I say this all the time. It's probably ad nauseum now. You understand that the scripture never says read the Bible through in a year. It doesn't say wake up every morning, read three chapters. If, if you read five of Psalms and one of Proverbs, you'll get through every one of them in a month. All of those things are great. And my response to that is, no, you don't have to do it, but why wouldn't you? I mean, you realize we're living in a generation and a day where we have this valuable commodity right here. It's ours. It's a gift. It's a treasure. And we have the opportunity to do something that most people have never had the opportunity to do. And that's read the Bible for ourselves every day. Read it. Listen to it every day so that you know the truth. So then you can speak to someone in truth. If you don't know the truth, you won't be able to spot a counterfeit. Many years ago, I was living for a summer in Florida and uh, I was at a church that happened to have several guys in it who worked for the Secret Service. Now, having been fascinated with all things Secret Service my entire life, I immediately, when I found out they were in the Secret Service, went right over to them and was like, let me see your gun. What else you got on you today? Any cool tools? What's it like guarding the president? I want to know all about it. And they were like, no, we're in the Secret Service. We don't guard the, we don't guard the president because we're in the Treasury. What? What a letdown, man. So what do you do all day? We spot counterfeiters. Oh, put me to sleep, you know? I mean, I thought we were going to be talking about, at the time, it was, uh, it was Bill Clinton, and I was like, I, mean, I want to know what it's like guarding the man. I mean, what's it like? I've never met him. Oh, really? What do you do all day? We spot counterfeiters. What do they train you to do in that? I said, do you get to see some cool counterfeits and that kind of thing? No. We spend all of our time studying the real thing. Because when you study the real thing, it makes the counterfeit very easy to spot. 
you, you can smell it, you, you can feel it, you can sense it. Just with, If you understand what the real thing is, then it makes it very easy to spot the counterfeit. And that's why living your life in the truth makes it very easy to spot when someone's about to err. That you don't have to know about the latest trends. You don't have to study up about the latest cults and all this kind of stuff. You'll be able to sense it. You'll be able to know it because a lie is built on the truth. So how do we help someone when we're sure they are in error? Well, lucky for us, Jesus gives us the way to do it. Look at Matthew chapter 18. James, the brother of Jesus, says, you got to make sure you're in people's lives, that you're speaking into it. And you had to know that he was going back to this. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. This is the words of Christ, Jesus speaking. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that you, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, Every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as the Gentile and tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And that's kind of interesting. That last verse we quote a lot, but we rarely quote it in the context of the scripture that it's in, right? This idea of binding and loosing. What does that mean? Well, as Jesus begins to talk about this with people, he's saying when there's issues in the church, how are you supposed to deal with them? And there's a three-step process. Step one, go privately. You go privately. So this isn't where you call all your friends. This is where you go, man, that, there's something going on here, and I need to go talk to my friend. I need to go talk to this person in my life group. And I'm just saying, hey, as I understand the scriptures, I'm watching this, something you said really kind of struck me a little funny can we talk about it for a minute or I noticed that you haven't been around much and somebody told me that you were really struggling I want to talk to you about it you know or there's a blatant sin that's out in front of everybody and we need to deal with this because you know this isn't God's best for your life this isn't going to be God's best plan for your life so I want to I want to show you this Notice what we didn't do. We didn't tell 10 people. We didn't post it on Facebook that we were frustrated with everybody. We didn't talk about it at the water cooler at work. We first went to that person privately. Now, if we practice this, most times the issues that we run into would be headed off and that mountain would never be built. It would stay a molehill. If you just went to someone and said, in love, because I love you, I'm just wondering about this. Can we talk about it? I need to speak to you about this. Because I think this is wrong. And I think God's plan for your life demands better. Well, Jesus tells us that we may get the opportunity to win our brother back. It's pretty amazing. It's awesome, isn't it? It's a win for us. It's a win for the church because we want to see people living in right relationship with the Lord all of the time. So step one, go privately. Step two, go with others. The next step is taking some other people with you. The purpose of this is to say to your brother, listen, the community of believers believes that this is an error in your life. You're straying from the truth. This isn't God's best for your life. So it's not just me saying this. It's not just my opinion. This is your community that you're living in saying that there's something here. There's an issue in your life that needs to be corrected because we want you to live in right relationship with the Lord and with other people with the Lord and with other people. At our church, the way that we do this is through our deacons. So when someone has gone privately and someone continues in sin, the next step is that we go with a deacon. 
We go with deacons' wives. And we just say to our brother or our sister, listen, we love you. You're about to jump off the deep end into sin and wreck your life. Don't do it. Come back. Return back to where you need to be. Now, I'm glad to say it doesn't happen often, but remember this. This is a fundamental truth of your life. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Why'd the hymn writer write that? It's because it's true. Not just for all those other people. It's true for you and it's true for me. When we sing that, do you sing it going, man, all those messed up people, yeah, they do, prone to wander. Or do you sing it as a confession of your own heart, of where you're at? Because that's the history of the Old Testament, isn't it? A people God called out who were prone to wander from the beginning. They mirror it for us perfectly. It's a life lesson for us. Every one of us is prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. It's in our hearts. If you're a Christian long enough, somebody's going to have to come and say to you, this isn't right. And how you receive that is a matter of life and death, James is saying. It's important for us to see it. When a person has a personal visit with someone who tried to reason with them about the error of their life, and that person continued in sin, then the next step then is those deacons. The purpose is to keep the unity of the body intact, to keep our Christian witness intact. But the overarching purpose is to keep someone from ruining their life. person refuses to repent and take the steps necessary to make relationships right here on earth and with God the Father, then it says you take it before the church. Look at back at verse 17. He says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Step three is kind of the last step that Jesus outlines for us. At this point, the person who has been in sin is... Uh, to have, I guess what you would call it, has left the church with no other option. And the church basically says to them, we're going to have to break fellowship with you. We're, we're going to break fellowship because you're refusing to repent. Now remember that there's been step one. There's been step two. Now step three. Find me a place in Scripture where a stiff-necked person gets along very well. It doesn't happen often. And I'm really glad to say that that doesn't happen very often here. But the words that Jesus used was treat them as a Gentile and a tax collector. They were removed from worship. Gentiles couldn't come in and worship in the temple. They were kept out. He's saying you're not to have fellowship with these people. It sounds harsh. Some have called it being excommunicated from the church. And that's not exactly correct either. The harshness can't be lost on us, but neither can the purpose, because the purpose is for what? Restoration of this person's soul to the Lord, restoration of the person to the body, to the, to the group of people that have been offended by this sin. And we see this in the New Testament in the Corinthian letters, because Paul chastises the Corinthian church for a man who was having an illicit relationship with his father's wife. So not his mother, but his father's wife. And Paul says, that's not practiced amongst the Gentiles. And you guys are letting that go on in the church. That's a joke. Get him out. 
get him out. Serious business. You read 2 Corinthians, and the Apostle Paul says, I'm really glad you guys did that, and I'm glad that he repented and that he's back into fellowship, restoring back. All right? What's the purpose? The purpose isn't to trim our roles at Judson Baptist Church and just get them down to the pure. We all are struggling with stuff. We're all in the midst of all of these things. The purpose is for life, right? The purpose is to say, you can't be here and do that. We're not going to stand by and let you wreck your life and the fellowship of this body. It's not going to happen. In Baptist life, we have a mechanism for this called the transfer of church membership. Most of you have heard this your entire life, and you've always wondered, what does it mean when someone transfers their letter? What letter do they send? We had a young couple join our church in the second service today by transfer of letter from another church in our fellowship, our association. And what that means is that we will be calling them. It's a Baptist thing. We don't do it with other denominations. But in Baptist life, it's a protection that keeps you from being a member there and here, and especially a member who's not in good standing. So we will call their church and say, hey, X number of people from your church have joined today, this nice couple, and they're coming and they're moving their membership. And that church will say to us, they're a member in good standing. We will send their letter. God bless you. They're your responsibility now. We don't have to worry about them anymore. But it also protects us. And this has only happened one time in the 11 years that I've been here. But it did happen. We called a church one time. There was a man. I don't remember his name. Wouldn't remember him if he walked in the door today. If he came in the door today, he could probably join the church. And, and I'd be lost on it. Because I, I honestly, it was, he was only here a couple of weeks. And he joined the church, transfer of letter. We called his church and said, hey, whatever his name was, has joined our church. And they said, he's a member under discipline. We will not release his letter. You need to tell him to call us. We won't tell you what it's about, but you can speak to him about it. Okay. So we called this man and said, I don't know what's going on. Your church didn't say, but said you need to address some issue there. He said, thank you, and never came back. I don't know what it was, but whatever it was, I felt like God used that to save us from some kind of heartache and trouble that was going on. I don't need to know what it was. He needed to go back and make whatever was wrong right because he was a member under discipline and restoration. So what you have when you start talking about sin in the church is this idea of spillover. Sin doesn't happen in a vacuum in our lives. The first lie the enemy will tell you when you're about to sin is nobody's going to get hurt. It's no big deal. That's the great lie of the enemy. He looks at you, he looks at me and says, dude, nobody is going to notice. No one's going to be hurt. Just do it. You can keep this a secret. It doesn't affect anybody, and that's a lie. That's the first lie that we all believe is that no one's going to get hurt. Do you remember the story of Achan that we studied in the book of Joshua? People got hurt. They lost their lives because one man's sin was in the camp, and God's favor was pulled back. Sin has an effect on all of us, and it spills over. When it comes to our church, we have to understand that if we're a church that's living in open rebellion against the word of God, God doesn't bless that. Not with our leadership, not with our members. Because he who knows what is sin and continues in it, right? Sin. The apostle said it like this, when you know what's right and you don't do it, it's sin. 
Philippians chapter 3. So we have to understand that we can't do any of these things with superficial relationships. We can't do it with people only come once every couple of weeks. And that's why membership still matters here. And it's going to continue mattering here. We're still going to work hard to move people into membership and get them out of a tender status and make them go through the next step class and put them in a life group because you need a depth of relationship that can't happen when you just show up, sit in the church, and then walk out and never speak to anybody and just check off your little box. It's important for you to be able to speak into my life. It's important for me to be able to speak into your life and for us to care about one another enough to do it. You may remember that several weeks ago, Danny Parmalee was here and he was talking about Acts chapter 2 speaking to us. And one of the things he talked about was as the apostles' teaching was to be revered, so the teaching of the word of God is to be revered in the church. And you remember what he said. He said, and that means that you as the church have to know the word of God so that you can hold the pastor accountable to make sure that he's teaching and preaching from the word of God and not just some made-up heresy that he's running down the road with. And I say amen to that. You have a responsibility to do that. You have a responsibility to say, Pastor Why did you say that we could do this when the scripture clearly says that we can't? Pastor, why would you tell us that it's okay to continue in sin when the the scripture clearly says that we, we have to be able to have that relationship? That's one of the reasons we have a ministry team in place here at Judson. The ministry team is my accountability to you. Five men who meet with me monthly. When I meet with them, I tell them the direction of the church that I feel like God is leading us, and I wait for them to give me the look of, you're crazy, or we agree, right? Why do we do that? Because the book of Proverbs tells us to do it. It tells us that plans that succeed are made with wise counselors. But it's also accountability for them to be able to speak into my life and say, hey, we don't think this is good or we're concerned about this. Have you addressed it? You said you were going to address it. When you lose accountability in your life and I lose accountability in my life, we're in a dangerous spot. People who don't want accountability are in trouble. When you don't want accountability, you're in trouble. I want to read something for you as we close from the book of Proverbs. Chapter 24, verse 11. And 12, deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to the slaughter. Oh, hold them back. If you say, see, we did not know this. Does he not consider it is who weighs the heart? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to a man according to his work? The word deliver there has another possible meaning. Snatch away. A number of years ago, we were in a parking lot, and I was letting my family out so that they could get out, walk around, and go into a restaurant. And it was taking just a second. And as kids are prone to do, Hampton jumped out of the car and started to run towards the front of the car and run in front. About that time, a lady behind us, impatient, hit the gas and started running forward. Hampton's mom, Kathy, grabbed him and snatched him back, right? Movie time, right here, by the collar, right? The lady stopped her van, and it was this moment of, you know, her eyes were so big, and she was looking at me going, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I was like, well, thank you. It's kind of your fault and kind of his fault, right? Because we weren't paying attention either. Snatch away. 
snatch away. Look at someone who's about to run themselves ragged in sin and snatch them away. Deliver them. You say, well, who does that? Whose responsibility? Yours. Mine. Love someone enough to tell them that you love them enough that you're not going to let them persist in sin. Don't condone it. When they claim the name of Christ and they're your brother or your sister, love them enough. Why? Because you may save a soul from death and you're going to cover a multitude of sins. Would you pray with me? Father, as we think about what it means to snatch someone away, it's weighty, it's heavy. And our prayer is, Lord, that you would give us the truth in our lives from the reading of the Scripture, the listening to the Scripture, that we would know your truth and live your truth. Father, that you would let us care enough about people to speak into their lives, that we would be bold enough to be accountable to people for our own lives. Because, God, we confess tonight, prone to wander Lord, we feel it, prone to leave the God we love. And so we ask you to seal our hearts for your purposes and your courts above. We ask this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.